This is an interesting question that I kick around from time to time. What do you feel like you only work well when you're inspired? Oh yeah. So like you wait until you get the winds in your back. Yeah. And you run with it. Yeah. See, I've thought about this because that's how I that's what my gut says is like wait until you've got the passion to do anything. And then if I don't have the passion, I don't want to do anything. And I talk with one of my mentors and it's kind of an ongoing argument. He's like, no, you gotta like always <laughs> you gotta always do it this way. And I'm like, uh, I understand what you mean. And the analogy he uses is like, think about a diet. You don't just want to eat the stuff that you want to eat. You want to be diligent about eating stuff that you don't always want to eat, what you know is good for you. That's the analogy he uses. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty compelling. Like, there's, yeah. So, in my experience, there's a balance to it where you have to, uh, you have to run with what you're passionate about. Otherwise, you're going to burn out. Um, but at the same time, just like with food, because of the way we've been conditioned by the food that we grew up with, we have the wrong idea about what's good for us. Mm. And so I think the missing component that kind of restores the balance is mindfulness. Um, maybe mindfulness and education kind of working in tandem where you, I think this is the importance of like the Sabbath, like the point of the Sabbath or in Jim Rohn's talk, he says, you've got to take a day. You've got to get like successful people take like three to four hours once a week and evaluate what happened that week. Mm. How did they respond? Was it what they wanted? Um, what did they like? What did they not like? And just kind of reflect on how things turned out and doing that, like that brings an, an element of mindfulness into the equation where when things aren't going the way you envision them going, how do you adjust? Yeah. When the food you're eating isn't having the effect you thought it was going to have or that you wanted it to have, paying attention to that is what will help you like recap, be able to recalibrate your decision-making processes. Yeah. Because, yeah, I struggled. I, I, I mean, I still struggle with that on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, there's a lot of stuff I don't. I just, I know based on who I am that I don't like to do. Yeah. And a lot of it doesn't get done. That's what I'm saying. And you, <laughs> and you wonder, is it like part of me is like, I can do it. But like, I feel like the battle of my mind is like, is it worth it? Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of what we ate growing up, how are we alive? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand how we're alive. Oh, man. Like, it's all love for mom and dad because they didn't they didn't they don't know. But I think well, I, I think back sometimes and I'm just horrified. I realize now they were also feeding three boys. Like big boys. Yeah. Which is brutal. You just need calories. Like anyway, you can get them in. I, I think back and I can think about it and I can think on and on. And it's like every time I think of something, it's more horrifying. We used to have remember butter crackers? <laughs> I guess that's real that's pretty normal for the nineties. I feel like most people in the 90s had a butter cracker at some point. Just a cracker, a saltine oh, cracker with just oh, some butter. Yeah. <laughs> it was the tub butter, like yeah. blue bonnet yeah. butter. Uh, when I was right before I met Ryan and started eating a little bit more healthy, I remember I used to just eat instant mashed. I had, A, I had pancakes every day. 
I had these little frozen pancakes. They come in a four stack and you heat them waffles. up. Waffles. They're soggy. Yeah. Those no, no difference. We had waffles. I, I started I waffles. when I had a job, I started buying pancakes. I was like, these are better than than so I had pancakes every day for breakfast and like four cups of coffee. And then I would eat mashed potatoes with barbecue sauce. Instant mashed potatoes with barbecue that. sauce. <laughs> What? I was so grossed out because it was potato flakes. What planet? <sighs> hamburger helper. Lots of hamburger helper. Hot dogs. Unbelievable numbers of hot dogs. Those hot dogs. 80 packs. Did she buy 80 packs of hot dogs? They came in 80 packs and we take them down like two or three days. Dang. Yeah, the strawberries, the plate, we, you get a plate and just put a layer of sugar on it. <laughs> and then you bite the strawberry and then you lick it and you mm-hmm. scrape it across the plate. When you bite it, it gets the juices exposed so the sugar would stick. Oh. Oh. Little Debbie's. Krispy Kreme. Oh, those little Debbie cakes, man. I used to eat those things like two or three. A, if we had a box, I would eat two or three a day. When I worked at Arby's, I would bring home. I would bring home like a sheet of the turnovers and I was usually the one that made them in the morning. Like you just stick them in the oven, they're frozen things, but then I had to frost them. So I would just layer on the frosting like extra thick because half of it got thrown away anyways. And then I'd take home about about half of them, which could be anywhere from like six to eight. I'd eat them all. I'd I'd eat like two or three before I went to bed. I'd eat like, and then I'd eat the rest of the morning. See, this is a testament to like genetics. Something. How did we not turn into little fat kids? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, we were relatively active. Yeah, I guess that's true. But I feel like even among our peers, we were always a rung above like the average level of fitness. I was always perfectly comfortable in PE class. Yeah. And one of the first kids picked. Yeah, there's definitely some. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> he goes by here. What was that all about? Uh, we apologize to all our podcast listeners. Man, rude. High school kids and their diesel trucks. Yeah. I feel like if I was driving around on one of those things, I'd be embarrassed. I would be so embarrassed. I just feel like it's so attention drawing and <laughs> rude. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think some of our health came from like a lack of because uh, a lot of I mean, a lot of homes are broken. A lot of unhealthy people come yeah. from broken homes. Our home definitely wasn't broken. Yeah, we had our struggles, but it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty. Um, buttoned up for the most part, especially like for our community. When I think about it, so I thought about this the other day, I, me and the three close friends that I had that lived in the neighborhood that we lived in, none of them had dads in the house. Mm. That's crazy. I never even made the connection until like a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. but that's wild. It has a huge effect. It supports what you're talking about in the last uh, thing. It's like so much of your health is like belief. Your your like belief and your energy has a huge impact on your emotional well being. Yeah, 
I was talking to somebody about that this morning, but it was a little bit different. Uh, context. What was it? It was really good. Oh, it was a health study. I started a health study about kids. We were talking about kids' health. He is in, I was talking to a guy who's in college doing a, uh, like, children wellness class or something like that in course. Childhood wellness. And what was the study that was cited? I don't want to screw up the numbers. I don't know if there was any numbers. (laughs) I feel like an old person whenever they can't remember something. But then they hold on to the idea for too long, too and they long. just hold the ball. It's too long. <laughs> Screws up the whole story. There's a no. There's a studies that keep getting, or a study that keeps getting brought up now. Basically, oh, I remember it. Go ahead. Uh, a lot of psychologists are concluding um, that the biggest factor in like long-term health and well-being is your relationships, the health of your relationships. I remembered it. So there's studies now that are coming out that exposure to great grandchildren is like reversing dementia in people. All all sorts of forms of dementia. It's almost like good job, you you went this far and it's like nature's way of like <laughs> it's like your trophy. You get to keep your mind for a couple more years. Isn't that fascinating? It's kind of sadistic the, the way or, you put it, but yeah. Or there was a, uh, there was a, uh, uh, <clears throat> I know what it was now. It was a research study on people who lived over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And so they followed these people for like two decades or something like that. Or they didn't follow, or they followed people for two decades. And then they looked at the people who lived for a hundred years. And there was a couple other things that were odd. Most of them lived near a coast. Hmm. And, uh, so th- there was some speculation that maybe it was like eating fish hmm. had an impact on that. Um, and almost all of them had great grandchildren. And uh, I thought that was so interesting. There's a lot of ways, a lot of different directions you can run with that. Having, having great grandchildren could be, uh, I mean, is a, is a symptom or like a, it's a result of having a healthy family. Which could, like, it's not necessarily, it's like having the great-grandchildren is what causes it. It's like maybe them having the great-grandchildren is a symptom of whatever causes them to live. And not only that, but you have to think about how healthy the implications of a family's health when the great-grandchildren are connected to the great-grandparents. Yeah. Because that's where I think the, the reversal would start to happen is when they're actually connected. That would show a bond across multiple generations. Yeah. People talk about, I always like, I like to watch videos of old people. There's a lot of good YouTube videos now of people who are like over a hundred years old. And it's just fascinating to look at them (laughs) because you look at them and you have to think they've been around since like the twenties. Yeah. The twenty, the 1920s. Think about everything that they've seen happen. I mean, like, I don't know why my mind goes automatically to race, but like, they probably knew slaves. 
Or they could easily have had parents or grandparents that were slaves. I don't know when the slaves were emancipated. As we discuss, history history (laughs) is not our strong suit. But that is just crazy. World War I and II. All the presidents. All that stuff. They were hanging around. (laughs) I work with this guy who... uh, he, he comes and helps clean the building sometimes. And he's just an older guy who's retired who needs something to do. So he's not like sitting at home all the time. He's in his mid sixties. And he's like, yeah, he was, I was talking to him one day. He's like, yeah, I don't watch TV. Um, I just prefer the radio. And I started thinking about it after he said that. And I was like, he probably didn't have TV right. until later in life. Yeah. And so he got accustomed to listening to yeah. the radio. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just had a total moment. I had a moment where I realized my place in relative history was like. <laughs> Compared to those people. Whoa. Relative history. Yeah. I mean, people tell me, people that I know now that I'm friends with, they tell me they're like, yeah, I did this for 20 years. I'm like, you did you did you a did, thing for 20 years. Yeah, you did anything for 20 years. I'm 27. That means as long as, almost as long as I've been alive, you've been doing that thing. Yeah. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. Have you um, have you started seeing people in color, color and enneagram now in spiral and enneagram? Oh yeah, I've started to do. I've, I've started to do this in passing now that we talked about. That's the direction we're going. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I meet somebody and I'm like, they could be this, this, and I try to reserve judgment <laughs> and, and I'll ask them later. I always like to ask people at some point, "What's your enneagram number?" But but like it's like kind of like practice, just sharpening my skills of observation and starting to teach my brain to think that way. Yeah, because it matters, especially like in my realm. Well, I guess it matters everywhere, but in business where I've had to get real careful about who I allow, who, who I affiliate myself and my business with. Yeah. Because there's healthy people and unhealthy people and there's. Uh, people who look like they have it all together that have no clue what they're doing. And there's people that look like they don't know what they're doing and they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. There was one of my business mentors who I used to look up to. I shouldn't say that. that that's a lie. That's my little white lie. It's my little three white lie. It's like a YouTube personality guy that I follow. YouTube. YouTube personality guy. He has this like five, these are the five essential skills for business. And one of them is, is uh, I hate those articles. Is uh, like understanding people quickly. You have to be able to quickly understand somebody. And so he was all about. He made a personality test for himself. He made one to sell. If, if we're all being right. honest, uh, and like knew a couple and was on this kick for like a year, where he was like, "This is one of the fundamental skills. You want to be rich. You want to be successful. You have to learn to un- figure out people real quick." <clears throat> That's misleading. Yeah. Because you have. Really, one, you got to figure out yourself first. Yep. Most people are not equipped to, to be in business for themselves. I'm not 100% sure that I am. Dude, I get it. I totally get it. You, anybody who's an entrepreneur, nobody who is an entrepreneur who hears that has any doubts about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> you come to a crossroad and you're like, is it really worth it? All the time. You got to really ask yourself. 
and it's a, it's a, it's a battle of, yeah, it's that question, but it's, it's in relation. It always takes me back to my values. Um, like what's your thought process? Because you've stayed an entrepreneur thus far, at least. I wouldn't even call it that. At least when I, when I think of entrepreneur as a term or as like a characteristic of a person, I picture really, uh, kind of like this, this is probably way off base. I don't know. I don't know. This is what I think of. I think of like people who are creative and quick and witty and like kind of fast moving, fast paced. They know they look like at least look like they know what's going on. They know sales. They know numbers, um, which really, I guess, probably isn't the case all the time. But by so what did you ask me? My thought process. Yeah. Like when you come to that crossroad, you're still here. I mean, you stayed out of the workforce in large oh it's a it's a very simple story i heard one day uh actually recently and i I was the reason this story resonated with me is because this is what i kind of what i did unintentionally um i don't remember who, who told it to me if i read it somewhere or what but basically this girl this daughter you know 10 years old whatever she's doing ballet and uh she comes home she had a bad day and she tells her mom, she's like, I'm like, I'm done with ballet. I want to quit. And her mom was like, that's fine. Um, but she's like, I'm not going to make you do ballet. If you don't want to do ballet, that's fine. But you can't quit on a bad day. Go back tomorrow. And if you still want to quit, then you can quit. And so whenever I feel like I want to quit, I just tell myself, well, I can't quit on a bad day. Mm. So your life is all bad days is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm just well, kidding. Yeah, no. When, like if you, if like when I, when I weather the storm, yeah. eventually it passes. And once it passes, I'm like, oh. I don't really want to quit. Yeah, you know? it's not as bad as I thought it was. Yeah. Or maybe um, it is as bad, but at least now I see what I need to do. Yeah. Um, and the process is so painfully slow. That's really what kills me. Cause I'm like, like when I started the gym, I was like, or when I took it over and rebranded and everything, I was like, yeah, I was like two years. I'm going to be like a hundred members and like rocking and rolling and have a podcast and all this stuff. And none of that, <laughs> not even close. Didn't even have like, I thought we'd be able to move out of our current situation in like six to eight months from growth. It was going to happen. <laughs> I think the thing about that though, and I think this is true. This is something that I've heard. Uh, from like a lot of ministry people is like you you overestimate what you can do in one year but you underestimate what you can do in 10 years mm. it's like that exponential growth of like yeah. uh, and power of influence like as it as it builds on itself one of the things that i've started saying because i am constantly rehearsing motivational speakers i guess i have it in my head that like that i have a i'm preparing my motivational speech at all times Cause you're a three. yeah because i'm a three i'm uh, sometimes called the motivator. But anyway, uh, one of the things I've realized that's one of my inspirational things to say to people is because you don't like what you're doing doesn't mean you need to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> some people just, <laughs> some people, that's, there's such a loud voice in our culture that's like, you should go be an entrepreneur if you hate your day job. Yeah. You may just need another job. You can do it. It's like, you've got a dream within you. I hear that all the time. You've got a passion in you. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it's going to get snuffed out when you try to make a business too. Yeah. So you got to be careful. But a lot of people, they, they think they want a business when they really just don't want to have to work a nine to five. And there's a big difference. And Or in a lot of cases, like you, you listen to some of Simon Sinek's stuff, like leadership is terrible. Management is terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. And people, people will ruin everything about about a job like i could i could sell pens door to door if the people i'm working for are awesome people yeah it's true because my job now like i got in that trap and like my job now is insane people would not believe it everybody is happy everybody wants to be there Mm -hmm. i look forward to going to work it's a nice place to be they are oh they are generous with their everything. They're just generous with all the resources and in their giving. And it's made me realize that an awesome job is pretty cool. And I've always kind of like, I I haven't given up on entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship. I don't like that either. It's not really what I'm talking about. Like cultural entrepreneurship. I haven't really given up on, on like uh, creating enough value that it makes sense to work for myself, but I'm just playing the long game. You know what I mean? I feel like, okay, let's get settled in and be a little bit more even even about how I approach that process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's where my headspace is when it comes to that type of thinking. Because part, part of me, I feel like I will probably be in business for myself one day. But that may be 20 years from now. That may be after... I retire. I don't know. If there's anything that 2017 taught me, it's you don't have you don't have you don't have a clue what's going to happen in the next six months. Yeah, yeah. I have no plans to retire. That doesn't make sense. Retire. That the idea of retirement doesn't. I agree. I, I agree completely. I don't. What I mean by retire is I'm independently wealthy. I have enough money that it makes enough money that I can live off of it and do other things that yeah. I want to do. Sure, but dude, I, that sounds great. I've got to be. What I realized, I was talking to Chris. We'll have on the podcast soon. I was talking to him the other day, and I was Ooh, like, "We're me and Jade are thinking about going back to church, but I want to go somewhere where I can, uh, like, serve. Basically, not necessarily like." be on a pedestal in any way. I just, I live because of my position at the gym and my position at home. Like t- technically I'm in charge of stuff Yeah, and I'm just kind of tired of being in charge of stuff. I just want to like be on a team where someone tells me they need me to do something and I do it. Yeah. Cause right now it's all like, it's all just very abstract and that structure I think is, it would bring me some, uh, peace of mind i think yeah it doesn't necessarily have to be a church like i I thought about getting a part-time job or it's about balance you got to have some structure and you got to have some order and you got to have some chaos i would be so i would there's even but i mean even right now i would be so happy to just work for somebody (laughs) i feel like it would be so easy it would be so easy to be good at it because like the basic things for me are in place show up on time Maybe a little bit early most of the time <laughs> because I care to be there. Uh, if you could just show up, you can stop right there. 50%. If you can just get there nine days out of ten, 
you are making the rest of the workforce look bad. Yeah, it's no wonder people can't make any money and they're struggling to pay their bills. A friend of mine asked me the other day, they were, they were like, because they own, they own a store, or a, a shop here in town, and they were like, do you ever just like take sick days? <laughs> I was like, no. no so what? what? A sick day? Sick day. Like, I, Some days I am sick, right. that's what you mean. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, me either. And, and then... We kind of got into a conversation about their employees and how they just like don't show up. Yeah, and it like a sick day doesn't mean it means they're just not in the mood to work. Right. That, that that is a form of sickness. It's called lazy, and it's a disease. <laughs> but but at the same time, like when you're in a in a leadership position, regardless of what kind of organization it's in, there's a level of leadership that is reflected by the people who work for you. I don't know if that made sense. It Basically the people that work for you are a reflection of your leadership. Yep. It's in, remember the Titans. Yeah. Attitude, attitude reflect leadership. leadership. <laughs> he says that. And then the white guy's like, Oh, it doesn't say anything back. And it's like this dramatic <laughs> moment, but it's true. It is. It's incredibly true. Because like in the organization I'm in, I look around and it's like awesome people, but the leaders are awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for people who have a different energy and, the, and you go to a business and it's like a, be, a business with bad leadership can break your spirit and, oh, and make you not believe. It'll, it'll destroy your family. It, and it makes you like, oh, there's no such thing as this other thing anymore. But it's just, it's not true. Um, on so many different levels. So everything's ironed out with, with Bruman. We're talking about trauma. Trauma. He's got a lot of experience with trauma. I've got some good questions. I mean, one of the one of the eye-opening things with uh, journey training when I was there, um, I don't know if I'm supposed to share this or not, but at one point it was asked uh, who had experienced, who had been a victim of sexual abuse, and it was mostly women in the room, and I think like all but one of them stood up. We're talking like out of 30, 35 women. Dang. And I was like, <laughs> like, that's a world I do not know. That's pretty heavy. And you're doing a class here. How's that going? Mindset course. We're revamping it. It's good. You feel like this is like you're moving into your second iteration? Yeah. So we want to, we want to make sure that it can be stretched out. Uh, but I mean, like probably the biggest effect, well, two things, one, it was super impactful for me to hear, uh, how the gym community helped people get through like struggles they had recently, Mm. like pretty big life struggles that I weren't even, wasn't even fully aware they were going through, but having the consistency and the positivity of the the fitness community had a huge impact on how they handled it. And it's in some sense, even like uh, influenced whether or not they left town, like to, to go wherever their old home is, or, you know, just to go start somewhere else or something like that. But two, um, those people that are in the course, which relative to the total population of the gym is about, 10%, those people 
have changed their vocabulary when they walk in the gym. So typically people walk in the gym and there's comments about the weather or recent sports events. And then we move pretty quickly into complaining about how hard CrossFit is. Mm -hmm. But those people that are in the class or that are in the mindset course don't complain anymore. And they're much more apt to embrace what we're about to do. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have anything good to say, they just don't say anything. And they just, that's powerful. They just do it. That's like affecting culture. That's one of those buzzwords, culture. Mm -hmm. But if you can get a grip on changing and being intentional about culture, so much power in that. Mm -hmm. And it's all the little stuff nobody wants to do, like the cheesy sayings. Yeah. And, uh, reading books and making sure like when you wake up in the morning, you listen to or read or some, do something positive to set the tone for your day. Yeah. One of the, I heard this cool illustration today about this guy was, was showing a Monet painting and he was saying, I look at this, I don't get it. He's like, I feel like this is, this is uh, something that one of my daughters would paint every day for breakfast. I feel like I've thrown away a thousand of these <laughs> since, uh, you know, in my own house. And he said, some people look at this and they will cry and it's worth millions of dollars. And he was like, those people understand the historical significance. They understand the passion and all the things that go into it and what the painting means. Mm -hmm. And he was like, all these pots, so they put it in the context of the conversation, like a lot of people look at all of those uh, culture things and like positivity and like the cheesy quotes and stuff, and they don't get it. They, mm -hmm. they don't understand the weight yet, mm -hmm. but you get to a certain point in your life when you're struggling and mm -hmm. it's like you've lost your positivity or, uh, like when you get to the dark places of life, that's when you start to grasp that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then after it's carried you long enough, you realize like this stuff is, this is the essential stuff of life. It's not extra. Mm -hmm. It's the stuff that makes life worth living. And that's such a hard conversation to have in a culture like a, it's hard to affect gym culture that way because gym culture is so, it's built already. People have a preconceived notion about how guys should act in a gym and how girls should act in a gym and what it's all about. And when people come to a gym, this kills me. People come to the gym and it's all about body image. Yeah. Like straight up. That's all they care about. I want to, I want to lose X amount of weight. I want to have muscles. I want to look good naked. <coughs> and, uh, <coughs> it's such a broken mindset. Cause that, I mean, you're focused on the vanity, but to get what you like, so you can go through these like dieting programs or exercise programs or whatever, these quick fix things. And you can, you can lose weight quick. You can build muscle relatively quickly. Or, uh, you look at like these, I'll just say people, these people on Instagram, <laughs> I was going to say a different, <coughs> a different P word. <laughs> Posers. Uh, these, these people on Instagram that like, they're just shredded and that's all they ever post. And then, yeah. or, or they'll, you don't realize they're about to pass out. They got to put chapstick on their lips because oh, they're so dehydrated. Well, yeah. We were talking about this the other day, like leading up to, uh, those, those bodybuilding, is it bodybuilding, whatever competitions, um, these people are starving themselves. Mm -hmm. They're dehydrating themselves. They're miserable. They can barely get through a work day because they all still have jobs. 
And then they post this picture on Instagram after they just got done at the spray tan place. Ugh. About how happy <sighs> and awesome, how, about how happy they are and how awesome they look. And then. I think it's great to feel good and look great, but uh, if that's your only motivation for being in the gym, that's, I don't know how people sustain that. Uh, the other day they were, yeah, I guess you're right. They don't. It's like something they do for 10 years and then they never do it again for the rest of their life. I was talking to a guy at work the other day and he was like, such and such. Somehow it came up that I was the only staff member that he hadn't seen with a shirt off. And he was like, he was like, I bet you're, you know, shredded and this and that. You got a six pack. I was like, dude, I would take pizza over a six pack any day of the freaking week. I would never trade pizza and beer and spaghetti for a six pack <laughs> ever i would never yeah. do it yeah. i care about forearms shoulders and glutes that's what i care about <laughs> grip oh, no. shoulder loading and those like the all the gorilla muscles that's what i care about yeah. that's the stuff i like sure. <laughs> i always tell emily that's all i care about and she laughs at me I have a beer gut, but if I got the traps, if I got the cobra traps, <laughs> I'm happy. Sure. Uh, we have to, I have to, I'm learning to reorient people's focus because, I mean, right, right now in the fitness industry, these marketing companies have come up with a six-week challenge idea. Yeah. And it is, it is dominating the fitness market. And it's all about losing weight fast and getting people in and it does have some great results for some people. Um, but ultimately it's kind of like a new year's resolution thing that, and it can be like a bait and switch cause they will advertise it as free. But then when you show up, it's like a, it's like a $500 thing that, and then if you reach your goal, you get your money back, which it's most like a security don't. deposit. And then to get your deposit back, you've got to lose 12 pounds or something crazy in six weeks or well, it's usually more specific than that. You've got to eat, certain foods <laughs> i just ha i just imagine somebody like looking at the ice cream in their fridge <laughs> and then thinking about their deposit like six hundred dollars <laughs> and just standing there just looking at it for a while yeah the problem is like four weeks in like you're going primal <laughs> like you're you're amygdala's taking yeah. over and you turn all your your body's like starvation software <laughs> is turned on so you're like a walking zombie yeah you don't have control anymore Anyways, I, I don't really work out for aesthetics at all. I work out so because, like, I get scared. I think about if something were to happen and if I had to do something. Some of that's from paranoia, channeling my six a little bit. Like, if something happened and I had to run, if I had to grab my kids and run and jump over a fence, it's like you're walking up the stairs and you're breathing a little bit. You're like, oh. mm -hmm. I would be dead if something had to, if something happened and I had to run a mile like mm -hmm. with my kids. That's like what yeah. really gets me going. What I found though is if I get up and and this would be this is fun fitness conversation. This is your space, really. What I found is if I work out for under ten minutes a day, I can sustain it. I feel like almost indefinitely. If I wake up, do a warm up activity for like ninety seconds, and go into a pretty challenging kettlebell workout. Or I'll do like laps around the building with my kettlebell or something, like 10 laps and come in. And if I can keep it under 10 minutes, I can almost sustain it every day. And I'm not too sore. I'm not, I'm not, 
I don't feel burnt out in the morning times. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that idea was proposed to me a while back. It may have been you about doing like five pull-ups a day or something instead of doing burnout sets yeah. that like crush your body. There's a lot of people that think that like working out at that high level of soreness is not always the best thing to do. Not always. Depends on what your goals are, but like if you're, if you, if you want to improve overall performance, something like CrossFit. Oh, there's no question. I honestly, I think, and I have this conversation a lot with people because everybody thinks I'm a fitness guru just because I did CrossFit (laughs) for a little while. And, and that's like, but people are like, uh, what were you just talking about just now? Sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Sustainable exercise. People are like, yeah, this is what I do. And it's like, they're almost looking for, they're fishing for my approval for me to tell them that's good. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I don't care (laughs) what you, I don't care whether or not you work out, honestly. But, but like, I think that CrossFit, if people need any proof, just look, go to, go to a regular gym and then go to a CrossFit gym and look at the people and talk to the people. And how they move. Go to a CrossFit gym and ask them when was the last time they were injured from an accident. And go to a regular gym and ask people about their injuries. You oh, gosh. A, you people. go to a regular gym, elbow, ankle, I can't, t- torn I can't, bicep. Yeah, I can't do this because I had three knee surgeries. Yeah, I can't bend over this way. <laughs> what? Why? You, you don't have a full range of motion in a, some part of your body? Yeah. And, and that's just okay? So you just work out around it? Mm-hmm. No! Mm-hmm. And and then you go to a CrossFit gym and you see grandmas in a full squat, like some weight overhead. I'm like, I want to be like them, not like them. People are like, see sixty year olds doing box jumps. People are like, it's too expensive. I'm like, it's your health. I was like, how how expensive is a knee surgery? I mean, yeah, <laughs> you you don't pay for a CrossFit for a little yeah, while. No, but when you're forty, you get a eighteen thousand dollar knee surgery. That's my philosophy, like. People are always like, oh, like people get injured doing CrossFit. Okay, first of all, people get injured doing everything. If you don't work out, you're still going to get injured. Yeah. You're less likely to get injured if you have muscle mass, period. And you have some level of like conditioning, basic conditioning. And not only that, but you recover faster and you feel better. Mm-hmm. So you like pick your, you basically, do you want poison or health? <laughs> they, they both hurt. They're both uncomfortable. You just choose which one you want. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a better analogy. It didn't come to mind. Dude, that's the worst. When you say, when you say, I heard this in a stand-up comedy routine once. It's so funny because it's true. When you get yourself into a bad analogy, he's like, he's like, man, it's hotter than <laughs> something that's really hot. Uh, Dang it. And then you feel like a re- like a dumb person. Just gotta run with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's re- what's real fun is taking people who think they're in shape, who go to the gym for like three oh hours man, a day, I know, and put them in a CrossFit gym. Oh, and we do like a, a seven minute workout, and they're like, like, what is this this trickery, this voodoo? Their legs are cramping and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like passing out. I mean, the average person like. If you told them to do 10 burpees, that would be a workout. Yeah. I did the burpee challenge the other day, and it was two burpees are the best. I mean, they're the worst, but they're the best. 
Such a good exercise. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, Carl Pally, the guy I studied for a while, he pointed out. He's like, he's like, the burpee is a fundamental human movement. He's like, you got to be able to get up off the ground. <laughs> yeah. Period. If you fall, you need to be able to get back up quickly. And especially like in a survival setting. So he's like, the burpee seems like a, like an obnoxious torture, torture method, but really it's just like, okay, how many times can you fall down and get back up? Yeah. It's very functional. That's where, that's where old people end up needing care is they can't get up and down. They can't go up and down stairs. They can't sit down and stand up. They can't like reach behind themselves. And if they fall, they're done. Yeah. That's why life alert exists. And, and it's like, it's crazy to think about how much of our lives start to take place at the waist level. Like our beds are waist level, oh, our chairs gosh. are waist level. And it's like, that's a, re- a huge reason why we lose that lo- mo- ground mobility is because you have to go down to the ground mm-hmm. in order to keep that mobility. But anyway, man, this turned into a fitness conversation fast. Yeah, well, we are sitting in the gym. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Where there's no chairs. Appropriately themed. <clears throat> I was uh, the last Peterson podcast I listened to. He started talking about how walking physiologically is like controlled falling. And and I immediately thought to myself, he even knows about like movement and stuff. It just clicks. It all comes together. If you know enough about one area, I guess you you kind of intuit a lot about other areas. Because it's a, it's a, it's a, me and Bradley have these conversations. Bradley is, he's a one. Dude, he'd be a good guest host guest he's very good at asking questions yeah he can get some good stuff out of me usually he's got some good stuff to say too anyways he's one so he wants like specifics he's got a grid that he lives by yeah like he schedules his days and he does that until he breaks and when he breaks he goes to seven and he's like gone like you you, like he he'll literally like leave the house and leave his phone at home and just go like find an old friend (laughs) like (laughs) he's just off the radar he's gone with the wind yeah but uh, oh, I forgot what I was going to say now. You were talking about Bradley would be a good guest host. So he gets good stuff out of you. Before that. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the, so Bradley wants like physical concrete yeah, yeah, specifics. Yeah. Grid. And I'm talking about principles and concepts. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's like. You guys are polar opposite <laughs> in that regard. He's like lost. He's like, so what does that mean? Like, yeah. I'll lay something out. Like, How should I be different because of that? <laughs> But Peterson has both. Peterson can speak on both levels and understand both very well. One of my good mentors, we've been in this this ongoing periodic conversation about Peterson and just processing. And there are things he doesn't like about Peterson. And uh, it's going to be fun to talk, to really sit down and hash it out and talk about it. He's like, people in my job are always listening to Peterson. And I'm like, dude, there's a reason that they are and that we're talking about them now. <clears throat> making waves. He was talking about, so like, like we'll go back to CrossFit, but the difference, or the not CrossFit, but the mindset course, he pointed out, the, he, he knows as a clinical psychologist, he's aware of the physiological differences in how people approach challenges. Mm-hmm. He breaks this down in one of the later podcasts in the biblical studies, and he points out that there's a physiological difference like the brain lights up differently and different hormones are produced um 
when someone undergoes a stressor that they resist, that they believe shouldn't be happening to them, and they kind of adopt the victim mentality. Um, it's a much more like negative. It makes sense. The body is trying to de like defend itself like from an enemy and turning off and shutting down and releasing signals that there's danger or that it's not something is not good. Mm -hmm. And it'll probably it even makes sense if you think about the body in like an like a more uh, like its own system with a subconscious. It even makes sense that the results wouldn't be the same because the body was traumatized. It doesn't like that. It doesn't want to do that again. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you if your body has got the hardwiring and it's got the mentality that it's good, it accepts the changes, it accepts the adaptation. It's you stand up to the challenge. Yeah, that's so interesting to think about it from that perspective. Like your yeah, your body is far more physiologically resilient. Yeah, and that includes like your emotional and kind of like spiritual aspects it's much more resilient whenever you stand up to what you're being faced with and accept it as a challenge as opposed to rejecting it as something that shouldn't be happening to you yeah that makes total sense i feel like that's just intuitive but it's so strange to think that that's something that doesn't occur to people like i see people exercising and i and I can remember coaching people sometimes there would be a look of panic on their face <laughs> You know that look? You know exactly what I'm talking about, where people are like, what did I just get into? And they're afraid. And like, and I'm like, they're never coming back to this class again. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking. But uh, but it helps to to address that mindset first. I feel like there should almost, yeah, that's so funny. This is so stupid. I'm about to say this, but I feel like there should be a mindset course for, oh, oh, for yeah. like, like every gym should have a. Imagine that. Like. <laughs> Mindset thing that talks about that. I feel like that's an essential part of many things. Yeah. We were talking about how that's going to be, that would be hard to implement because it's real heavy. Like you tell people their perspective on life is wrong. Yeah. It's one thing to tell people they're exercising wrong. Like that's a little bit like, yeah, they know. Everybody already knows that. Mm -hmm. But to tell people that their outlook on life is askew is a whole nother battle. I think one day it might be as light as the fitness discussion, but. Right now, it definitely is not. Yeah. It's deeply personal. You're telling people that all the things they grew up believing are incorrect. Oh, man. And and also, like, it's so funny that that in my world, people look at me as a fitness person. But, like, if, the, if they had any idea the people I'm exposed to, like, half of the people in this gym are twice as strong as me, <laughs> including plenty of women. And older. Yeah. Significantly <laughs> older. Yeah, the cross, if you walk into I feel a bad. This is turning into like a big cross. We need to call CrossFit and be like, hey, we'll publish this podcast <laughs> if you guys uh, cut us a check. Um, we do not, we are not sponsored by CrossFit. We don't get any money from them. Okay. Uh, Yet, not yet. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a CrossFit gym. Yeah, sure. You, I guess you do kind of get money from. Well, them. I get money from people who are interested in CrossFit, but not from CrossFit. <clears throat> but yeah, if you walk into a normal, if you walk into a CrossFit gym, you'll see people that look mostly normal, mostly. But then the stuff they can do, I mean, it's superhuman, man. Eighty percent of the 
people that are in a CrossFit gym can probably, probably throw 200 plus pounds on the bar and deadlift it multiple times. Yeah. At least the men. The women, you're looking at probably like one. 50, 160. I feel like that's like almost par for the course too. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to do some seminars. I was talking to a guy about doing a seminar uh, about doing Enneagram seminars, like clinics for each number and doing uh, just like like introduction to the Enneagram seminars and stuff like that. Um, classes, man. I'm, I'm getting excited about doing some classes around mm-hmm. some of this stuff. I love, face-to-face stuff. I love that stuff. That's where the real stuff happens. That's where you build relationships. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to talking to a microphone at people, but. Well, we're, uh, you know what we're doing, right? Hmm. What? And I mean, so let's say we stay with it. In four to five years, we're going to have the beginnings of some sort of workable method. Hmm. Like, um, yeah, that makes sense. Like, uh. I can think of lots of methods. People have it's almost like a martial art. It's just a way of life. Mm-hmm. We'll have a discipline for, and there are disciplines out there. I think and it doesn't need to be complicated, but I think this is one that's that appeals to a certain group of people who are uh, what are we in Truckland over here? Apparently. I don't know. It's a discipline. Yeah, it's a discipline. I don't know that we know what it is yet. We don't. It's so very early. Because we're not like, we're not highly educated. Mm-hmm. We're generally well-rounded. We're not uh, focused on, like I do CrossFit and I coach CrossFit, but I'm not like a CrossFit master. It's not like I don't like live, eat, and breathe CrossFit. Mm-hmm. So we're not like too deep in one area. Yeah, yet. that we can't. We'll see. That's pretty good. We're 45 minutes ahead, plus the seven minutes that screwed up at the beginning. I'll edit them together. 